Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Scandals of Yesteryear podcast. I'm your host, Gene Hollywood. And this week we're going to be looking at the scandal that brought down Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. It's generally thought of as the first major Hollywood scandal. Okay, Fatty Arbuckle was uh, Roscoe Conkling Fatty Arbuckle, 1887 to 1933. He was a silent film actor, comedian, director, screenwriter. It's kind of funny to be a screenwriter uh, in silent films. But I guess they did have the title cards, so you did have to write it. Maybe not wasn't a screenplay necessarily but anyway he worked with Harold Lloyd who was also a major uh, comedian of his day Fatty Arbuckle mentored Charlie Chaplin he discovered Buster Keaton and he also discovered Bob Hope interestingly he was one of the most popular silent stars of the 1910s one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood in 1921 just before the scandal he signed with Paramount Pictures for $1 million. A million dollars in 1921. I mean, I'd like a million dollars now, and it's uh, 93 years ago. Well, let's do some a little bit of background on Arbuckle. He was a, a, a comedian who was born in Kansas in 1904. He was invited by Sid Grauman of Grauman's Theater, Grauman's Chinese Theater. But he was invited by Grauman to sing at his unique theater in San Francisco. Uh, which started the long friendship between the two. He joined the Pantages Theater Group and toured the West Coast of the United States. Interesting fact on Arbuckle, he was a fantastic singer, apparently. Enrico Caruso heard him sing and urged the comedian to, quote, give up this nonsense you do for a living. With training, you could become the second greatest singer in the world. (laughs) Uh, you know, himself being the greatest singer in the world. But Arbuckle decided to stay with the uh, acting, and he went on to be one of the greatest comedians of uh, the silent era. In 1914, he was offered $1,000 a day, plus 25% of all the profits of his movies. And their movies were so popular that they were, in 1918, they offered Arbuckle a three-year, $3 million contract. What that works out to in 2010 was $43 million. So he would have been one of the highest paid actors, you know, today. It's funny to think about that now. The uh, the ratio of highest paid actors in Hollywood really hasn't gone up all that much. It stayed at about the same level. The money is different. It was, you know, $3 million back then and $43 million today. So... But they're still averaging, what, about three years, 43 million, a movie a year, let's say. For somebody like Seth Rogen, if he's making a $43 million over three years, I know their deals are different, but that still works out to about 15 million a year, 15 million a picture. It's just about what it seems like it's always been at about that level. Anyway. In 1916, now this is five years before the scandal, his weight and heavy drinking were already starting to cause him serious uh, health problems. Almost lost his leg, but he managed to get his weight down, lost 80 pounds. And now on to the September 5th, 1921. He took a break from his film schedule, and uh, he had an accident on set. uh, Which resulted in second degree burns to both of his buttocks. He still... Take, took the long drive 
to San Francisco with two of his friends, Lowell Sherman, an actor-director, and a cameraman, Fred Fishbach. During the carousing, aspiring actress Virginia Rapp was found seriously ill and wasn't examined by the hotel doctor. Uh, he concluded her symptoms were mostly caused by intoxication and gave her morphine to calm her. Because, you know, when you're drunk and seriously ill due to intoxication, giving someone morphine sounds like the thing to do. She was not hospitalized. Miss Rapp was not hospitalized until two days after the incident. She suffered from chronic cystitis. It's a condition that flares up dramatically when you drink, and she had heavy drinking habits. She had quite the reputation for over-imbibing at parties and then drunkenly tearing at her clothes from the pain that resulted with her when her cystitis flew, flared up. So that's something you should take into consideration, I think. She had undergone several abortions in the space of a few years, most likely in 1920, 1915 to 19, you know, that kind of time period. It was substandard. Now, Maud Delmont was her companion. She's the one that brought her to the party. Now, at the hospital, she told Rapp's doctor that Arbuckle had raped her friend. The doctor examined Rapp, but found no evidence of rape. Rapp died the next day, peritonitis, caused by a ruptured bladder. Delmont then went to the police and told that Arbuckle had raped Rapp. The police concluded that the impact of his overweight body on her caused her bladder to rupture. Her manager... At the, at the trial later, at a, I'm sorry, at a press conference later, accused Arbuckle of using a piece of ice to have sex with her, which led to her injuries. And the time, by the time the, report, the story was reported in the newspapers, it was being reported that Fatty Arbuckle, Roscoe Arbuckle, had, uh, had used a Coca-Cola bottle or a champ, champagne bottle instead of a piece of ice. When in fact... Witnesses of the incident testified that Arbuckle had rubbed her stomach with ice to ease her abdominal pain. Arbuckle denied any wrongdoing fiercely. Delmont later made a statement that she was just trying to get money. The trial of Fatty Arbuckle was a huge event in 1921. It made all the papers. It would have been akin to something like the O.J. Simpson trial um, here or the, you know, the Anna Nicole Smith uh, death or something like that that's just on the news, Michael Jackson, something like that that's on the news all the time. He, uh, this man, Fatty Arbuckle, was he was the second biggest comedian of the day. There was Charlie Chaplin, number one, and there was Arbuckle, number two, basically. You know, imagine if someone like the level of uh, Seth Rogen or the level of, uh, you know, Jonah Hill or something. Imagine if Jonah Hill was arrested for rape and murder and put on trial. I mean, it would just be, it would be a crazy, it would be a crazy kind of thing. Anyway, the Arbuckle trial was a major media event at the time. It was exaggerated at every turn, sensationalized. Uh, William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper magnate, who we will revisit numerous times over the course of this podcast, uh, because he is involved or uh, involved or at least around many scandals of the time. Now he ran the newspaper, so they reported on all the scandals. But they also, he had a hand in the way they were reported as well. 
the story was fueled by yellow journalism, which is when uh, people just lie, essentially. The papers portrayed him as a gross lecher who used his weight to overpower innocent girls, when in reality he was a good-natured man and was so shy with women that uh, they regarded him as the most chaste man in pictures. Hearst later said of the Arbuckle scandal that it sold more newspapers than any event since the sinking of the Lusitania. So that was all Hearst. He was not interested in the truth and, you know, and any coming out. He was just interested in reporting the grossest, most disgusting thing in his newspaper. He's a lot like uh, a lot of William Randolph Hearst was uh, to the 1920s what, um, oh heck, Rupert Murdoch is to the modern newspaper apparently. Although Hearst probably was worse because there was less uh, laws about what could be said and that kind of thing back in the, in the day. The resulting scandal destroyed Arbuckle's career and his personal group, his, his, his personal life. He had morality groups all over the country uh, for him to be sentenced to death. They were people, other actors were told not to speak with him. He was told not to, uh, not, people were told not to associate with him. Charlie Chaplin at the time was in England, and so he never made any comments on the case. Buster Keaton did come out in support of Arbuckle's innocence. Now there's an actor, William S. Hart, who made a number of damaging public statements presuming that Arbuckle was guilty, but he never met or worked with Arbuckle, which is kind of... You see that a lot nowadays as well, where people just come out and decry someone as guilty, but they don't know anything about it. So, the um, the trial went on. 1921, September 17, 1921... Arbuckle was arrested and arraigned. Arbuckle was simple, direct, and unflustered in both direct and cross-examination during the trial. Arbuckle knew rap for five or six years, apparently. He carried her. She felt ill, asked to lie down. He carried her into the bedroom, asked a few of the party ghosts to help treat her, to calm her down. They placed her in a bathtub of cool water. Then they called the doctor. The jury, December 4th, 1921, the jury returned deadlocked. 44 straight hours of deliberation with a 10-2 not guilty verdict, and a mistrial was declared. January 11th, 1922, a second trial for the same crime. Uh, the same presiding judge, the same defense team, same prosecution, <laughs> different jury. Same evidence, but one of the witnesses, a Zay Prevon, forced that she was, or testified that she was forced to lie in the first trial. And another witness who claimed that Arbuckle had bribed him not to tell anyone about harming Rap turned out to be an ex-con who was currently charged with assaulting, sexually assaulting an eight-year-old girl and was looking for a reduced section or a reduced sentence from the uh, from Mr. Brady, who was the uh, district attorney in Los Angeles at the time. I think that he will show up a couple of times in the course of this podcast as well because he was apparently a real piece of garbage as well. The defense in this case was was convinced of an acquittal and Arbuckle was not called to testify. They And his uh, defense attorney made no closing argument. That was a mistake because some jurors interpreted the refusal to let Arbuckle testify as a sign of guilt. Forty more hours of deliberation... They returned on February 3rd with a 10-2 guilty verdict. Another mistrial was declared. 10-2 guilty in that, uh, in the second trial. 
By the time of the third trial, Fatty Arbuckle's films had been banned, and newspapers had been filled for the past seven months with stories of orgies, murder, and perversion. Delmont was touring the country, giving one-woman shows as the woman who signed the murder charge against Arbuckle, and lecturing on the evils of Hollywood. But this trial took six minutes to return a unanimous not-guilty verdict. Five of those minutes were spent writing the formal statement of apology, a dramatic move in American justice that happens very rarely. And I'm going to read this full jury statement. Acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel that a great injustice has been done him. We feel also that it was not only our plain duty to give him his exoneration under the evidence, for there was not the slightest proof adduced to connect him in any way with the commission of a crime. He was manly throughout the case and told a straightforward story on the witness stand, which we all believed. The happening at the hotel was an unfortunate affair for which Arbuckle, so the evidence shows, was in no way responsible. We wish him success and hope that the American people will take the judgment of 14 men and and women who have sat listening for 31 days to evidence that Roscoe Arbuckle is entirely innocent and free from all blame. Now, modern experts have have come and concluded that Rapp's bladder ruptured as a result of the uh, abortion that she had had. Now, I mean, obviously, it's impossible to test, but because alcohol was consumed at the party, Arbuckle was forced to plead guilty of uh, violating the Volstead Act, which was, uh, you know, made alcohol illegal at the time. But it was still, it, it had, it didn't, it, it was still over for Fatty Arbuckle. His his, uh, his career was over. Mina Durfee. And he divorced in 1924, although they had been separated since 1921. She always claimed that he was the nicest man in the world and that they were still friends. Uh, Arbuckle tried returning to filmmaking, but industry resistance to distributing his pictures continued to linger after his after his acquittal. He uh, drank more and more. He only quote only seemed to find solace and comfort in the bottle. Buster Keaton, longtime friend, attempted to help him by giving him work. He wrote a story for Keaton called Daydreams in 1922. Uh, he allegedly co-directed scenes in Keaton's Sherlock Jr. 1924, but it's unclear how much of this footage remained in the final cut. Now, he returned under an alias of William Goodrich to direct some films. He was never an actor again. But he did return to direct in the late 20s and early 30s. He directed a number of comedy shorts. His initial alias was going to be Will Be Good, but the pun was too obvious, they thought. And so uh, they went under William Goodrich. Directing might be overstating it a bit because this quote from Louise Brooks, who was a comic of the day, she played the ingenue in Wendy Riley Goes Hollywood, 1931 which was directed by Fatty Arbuckle. And her quote is, He made no attempt to direct this picture. He sat in his chair like a man dead. He had been very nice and sweetly dead ever since the scandal that ruined his career. But it was such an amazing thing for me to come in to make this broken down picture and to find my director was the great Roscoe Arbuckle. Oh, I thought he was magnificent in films. He was a wonderful dancer, a wonderful ballroom dancer in his heyday. It was like floating in the arms of a huge donut. Really delightful. In 1932, Arbuckle signed a brief contract with Warner, Warner Brothers, which he would star in a series of two-reel comedies. Uh, now, these would be talkies. 
And there are six shorts were made. They are the only recordings of his voice. Interesting that Shemp Howard of the uh, Three Stooges appears with him. The films were very successful in America. And they attempted to release them in in, uh, England, but the British Board of Film Censors cited the 10-year-old scandal and refused to grant a certificate for exhibition. So, uh, people really can hold a grudge, apparently. And so, Arbuckle had finished filming the last of his two two reelers on June 28, 1933. And the next day, he was signed by Warner Brothers to make a feature-length film. That night he went out with his friends to celebrate his anniversary to his wife. And he was reported as saying, this is the best day of my life. He suffered a heart attack later that night and died in his sleep. He was 46 years old and he was cremated. He has his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That is the sad tale of Fatty Arbuckle. Um, There's a great book uh, written by Jerry Stahl uh, called I Fatty. It's a novel um, about uh, about his life and the trial. And uh, that covers the Fatty Arbuckle case. Tried for rape and murder. Tried three times. One not guilty. One guilty. One extremely not guilty. And a letter of apology from the jury. And so, thank you for listening. And join us next time when uh, we will go over... The story of the scandal of the murder of William Desmond Taylor, who was a director. The subject of our next Hollywood Scandals of Yesteryear with your host, Gene Hollywood. Look me up on Facebook. Send in a comment on uh, podomatic.com, which is where this is hosted. Uh, Please comment, send me an email, anything you want. Questions, suggestions, thanks for listening.